Welcome back. We're excited to start a new message series. For the next few months, from October to January, we'll be studying the Apostle Paul's letter to the Ephesians. The title of our series is New Humanity, New Life, New Guidelines, New Relationships. The London Eye is the most popular paid tourist attraction in the United Kingdom, according to Wikipedia. It's the world's tallest Ferris wheel with a height of 135 meters. It has 32 capsules and each capsule can hold 20 people. And it's obvious what makes it special and unique. The London Eye gives you a chance to see a breathtaking view of central London. The letter to the Ephesians can be compared to the London Eye. It may not be the longest nor the fullest among Paul's writings, but this letter offers us a breathtaking overview of the gospel. And that is why many Bible scholars call Ephesians the queen of the epistles and the crown of St. Paul's writings. In Ephesians, you get the bird's eye view of various gospel themes about God, about our Lord Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit, the world, the church, about salvation, Christian living, about marriage and family, and spiritual warfare. Preacher and author John Stott wrote this, The letter to the Ephesians is a marvelous, concise, yet comprehensive summary of the Christian good news and its implications. Nobody can read it without being moved to wonder and worship and challenge to consistency of life. Having said this, let's dive in. This letter opens with these words, Ephesians 1, verse 1 to 2. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, to the saints who are at Ephesus and who are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We know from the book of Acts that Paul planted the church in Ephesus along with Aquila and Priscilla. This happened towards the end of Paul's second missionary journey. It was a brief visit though. But then during his third missionary journey, Paul returned to Ephesus and stayed there to preach and teach there for about three years. And Acts 19 verse 10 tells us that Ephesus became Paul's base of operation and the gospel spread throughout Asia Minor from that church. Years later, when Paul was imprisoned in Rome in 62 AD, he wrote this letter to the Ephesian church. And that is why this letter is called a prison epistle, along with Philippians, Colossians, and Philemon. Ephesians divides into two big sections. The first half covers chapters 1 to 3, while the second half covers chapters 4 to 6. And Paul connects these two main sections using the word therefore in chapter 4 verse 1. The first three chapters of Ephesians talk about what God has done for us. It teaches us who we are and how rich we are in Christ. And it shows us the abundant resources that God has given us to live the new life. The second half then is about what we should do for God. It teaches us how we are to use our riches for God's glory by living out our new life in Christ. Now here is the summary of the entire book of Ephesians. Because God has overwhelmingly showered us with his goodness in Christ, let us therefore give thanks to God, give ourselves to the Lord, and give ourselves to others. Now let's go to our main passage in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 to 14. And I invite you to open your Bibles with me and follow along. Through Ephesians, the first thing that Paul teaches us is that we are blessed. We are blessed, and that is the title of our message today. And here are the two main points that I want us to look at. First, God has blessed us in Christ. And second, how has God blessed us in Christ? Let's begin. God has blessed us in Christ. Ephesians 1, 
verse 3. Blessed be God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Notice that Paul did not say God will bless us. Instead, he said that God has already blessed us. The verb has blessed in the original Greek is in the aorist tense, meaning it's an action that happened prior to another action. In short, Paul blessed God because God blessed first. In the same way, our proper attitude should be the same. God has blessed us, therefore, we will bless him. As Charles Spurgeon said, If you think little of what God has done for you, you will do very little for him. But if you have a great notion of his great mercy to you, you will be greatly grateful to your gracious God. Friends, we are already blessed in Christ. You are blessed and I am blessed. And therefore, let us rejoice, give thanks, and praise God. Now here's our problem. Many of us define blessing in limited terms. When we speak of blessing, we only think of material possessions or perfect circumstances. And we equate a blessed life to the successful life. To be blessed is nothing more than a Christian version of having a good life that the world runs after. But think about it. Paul was not materially well off. His life was full of difficulties, and yet he said he was blessed. He said God has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. Paul says that God has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. The spiritual blessing here means the blessing through the work of the Holy Spirit. And we will look at those specific blessings later. But here's the point. Spiritual blessings are more important and longer lasting than material blessings. Spiritual blessings are more important and longer lasting than material blessings. Having a new heart is better than having a new house. To be an heir of God is more desirable to be an heir of the richest man alive. To have a heart filled with peace from God has greater benefit than having a bank account filled with money. Also, Paul tells us that these blessings are located in the heavenly places. The heavenly places simply mean the supernatural realm of God. It's where God dwells. Thus, the spiritual blessings are higher, better, and more secure compared to earthly blessings. Notice that the word blessed or blessing appear three times for emphasis. Paul also connects this word to some of the important themes in this letter, the themes of riches, fullness, and inheritance. And that is why some say that Ephesians is the treasure house of the Bible, and others call it the bank of the believer or the Christian's spiritual checkbook. Let's look at these examples. The theme of riches, 1-7, according to the riches of His grace, and the following verses, the riches of the glory of his inheritance, the surpassing riches of his grace, the unfathomable riches of Christ according to the riches of his glory. There's also fullness, the fullness of the time, the fullness of him, the fullness of God, the fullness of Christ to be filled with the Spirit. And there is also the theme of inheritance. Having obtained an inheritance, the pledge of our inheritance, the riches of the glory of his inheritance, and the inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. As you can see, these three themes of riches, fullness, and inheritance run through the whole letter. And it shows us that God has blessed us with a rich, full, and glorious blessing. So in Christ, God has given us every spiritual blessing. No wonder Paul celebrated with great joy as he reflected on God's goodness. Think about it. Paul was a prisoner in Rome when he wrote Ephesians along with the other letters 
to Philippians, Colossians, and Philemon, he said, I am a prisoner of Christ Jesus. I am the prisoner of the Lord. During this time, Paul was under house arrest. He was physically chained to a Roman guard and had limited freedom. And Paul was also unsure of what fate awaited him. Would he be released? Would he stay longer in prison? Or would he face an early death? Paul had a lot of uncertainties. Imagine if you were Paul, what would you think? How would you feel? Perhaps you would say, Lord, why did you allow this to happen to me? I'm serving you faithfully. How come I ended up in prison? You see, Paul could have focused on his troubles and wallowed in self-pity and drowned in despair. But he did not let that happen. Instead, Paul looked beyond his difficulties and elevated his thoughts to a higher view. As one missionary said, Paul may have been physically imprisoned, but his mind and spirit, as portrayed in the letter, were clearly free. You know, it's sad to think that Paul did more for God in prison than most of us Christians do for the Lord out of jail. Even though Paul was stuck behind bars, he continued to touch the lives of many. Right now, many of us feel stuck at home or trapped in our situations. And we can come up with many excuses why we cannot serve Christ and others right now. You say, I can't meet them face to face. I'm so far away from them. I don't know how to do online meetings. And lately, I have so many things to deal with. But look at Paul. He continued serving God and serving his people even during the very low point in his life. Paul prayed for the churches and he sent godly leaders on his behalf. He wrote letters to encourage and strengthen the churches. He even witnessed and preached to the Roman soldiers guarding him. Paul never stopped serving God and others despite the difficulties. But how was Paul able to look past his difficult circumstances? He focused his thoughts on God's greatness and goodness. Paul kept this truth in his heart. He was richly and fully blessed in Christ. And as he reflected on this fact, his only appropriate response was that of a grateful worship and praise God. In other words, Paul was in prison, yet he prayed and pondered on God's goodness, and that proper perspective led him to praise God. Dear friends, are you also at a low point in your life today? Do you feel imprisoned or stuck in your present circumstances? Are you losing hope because you're unsure of how long will you stay in your difficult situation? Don't despair, but have hope. Like Paul, may you and I look beyond our challenges. And this is what we should do. Stop looking down in despair. Instead, start looking up and declare. Stop looking down in despair. Instead, start looking up and declare. Declare what? Let us declare that God has abundantly blessed us in Christ. Now Paul shows us the spiritual blessings that we should praise God for. And that leads us to the next point. How has God blessed us in Christ? And our first spiritual blessing is redemption. Redemption. In the following verses, Paul shows us how God and each person of the Trinity have worked together to bless us with redemption. The first is blessing from God the Father in verses 4 to 5. The first of that, God the Father chose us. Verse 4. Just as He, God the Father, chose us in Him, in Christ, before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before Him. Paul tells us that God the Father has chosen us before the foundation of the world. Think about it. 
Isn't it amazing to think that God chose you not just five years ago or 10 years ago or when you even got saved? Instead, God chose to save you way in eternity past. It's not an afterthought. Instead, saving you was part of His master plan. God chose you in Christ before He made the world. Even before He created human beings, even before humankind sinned, God already had your name written in His book as recorded in Revelation 13, verse 8. Now, the word us here in verse 4 includes both the Jews and the Gentiles in the church at Ephesus. You see, God's blessings are for both Jews and the Gentile believers. And this term, us, also refers to all of us Christians, whether in the past, the present, or the future. Now, why did God save us? So that we would not go to hell? That's partly true, but that is not the complete gospel message. The last part of verse 4 tells us God's ultimate goal for choosing us in Christ. And what is that? So that we would be holy and blameless before Him. You see, it has always been God's purpose from the beginning of time to create a people for Himself. First, through Abraham and the people of Israel, and eventually through God's people, the church, including both Jews and Gentiles. Titus 2, 11 to 14. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men. And what does this grace do? It instructs us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires and to live sensibly, righteously, and godly in the present age, and looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Christ Jesus, who gave himself for us to redeem us from every lawless deed. And to what? To purify for himself a people for his own possession, zealous for good deeds. God chose us not only for salvation, but also for holiness. So we would be a people set apart for him that reflects his character. And what are some of the practical ways that we can do to live holy lives before God? That's what we will learn when we go to Ephesians chapters 4 to 6. So stay with us. Now, not only did God choose us, he also adopted us. God the Father adopted us. Verse 5 to 6. In love, he predestined us to adoptions as sons and daughters through Christ Jesus to himself, according to the kind intention of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, which he freely bestowed on us in the beloved. Did you hear that? Out of God's great love, he adopted us to be his sons and daughters. Just reflect on that thought for a moment. The Bible tells us that before God saved us, we were God's enemies. Romans 5.10 For while... We were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of His Son. But after God saved us, we became God's people. Yet, it did not stop there. God uplifted our status further when He adopted us as He welcomed us into the family and you and I became children of God. See the progression of God's blessing one after another. It's a big leap from where we started. We started as enemies of God, then God saved us, then we became God's people, and then God's children. Again, from God's enemies, we became people of God and then children of God. And isn't it a lavish and rich blessing? Now, let's talk about the word predestination. <clears throat> the term predestined means to be appointed beforehand. Paul is saying that God has master planned everything to adopt us beforehand. Now, many people, even devout Christians, find this idea troubling. They ask, does God choose me or do I choose him? Does God choose some people and not others? 
First, we need to remember the context of what Paul is saying. Paul says that God's work of predestination is a blessing and it's something that we should be grateful for and it should not trouble us. We are to rejoice that God has chosen us and we need not fear that anybody will be rejected because Christ Jesus himself said this, All that the Father gives me will come to me and the one who comes to me I will certainly not cast out. You see, many Christians have debated about this doctrine of predestination, and some of you may have questions about this topic. But for now, let's focus on what Paul is saying in our passage. He said, In love, he predestined us to adoption as sons and daughters through Christ Jesus to himself, according to his kind intention and the pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, which he freely bestowed on us in the beloved. Here's the point that God's choosing to save his people is his work done in love and out of his kindness. At the same time, it gave God pleasure to do it. And this blessing is something that God has freely given us in Christ Jesus. So how can you not love God and praise God for that? Next, blessings from God the Son. God the Son redeemed us. Verse 7. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished on us. The word redeem means to gain or regain possession of something in exchange for a payment. Historically, redemption was used for purchasing a slave's freedom. A slave was considered redeemed when the purchase price was paid for him to be set free. We used to be slaves to sin, but Christ redeemed us from slavery using his own precious blood. Christ purchased our freedom, and as a result, we receive forgiveness and release from the bondage of sin. Notice the beginning of verse 7. In Him or in Christ, this phrase was repeated again and again, five times in our passage alone and 14 times in the whole of Ephesians. Why is this significant? Because this phrase, in Christ, is the key and the central point of Ephesians. It means that all spiritual blessings we receive, we receive in Christ. Now, what does it mean to be in Christ? To be in Christ means to be united with Him. As one pastor said, I am in Christ, so His position is my position, His privilege is my privilege, His possession is my possession, His practice is my practice. Where He is, I am. What He has, I have. And what He does, I do. Our union with Christ made it possible for us to obtain God's abundant blessing. In Christ, God gave us true riches. But the reverse is true. Apart from Christ, we remain poor and we get nothing. Friends, think about your life. Are you in Christ or are you apart from Him? Next, God the Son unites us. Verse 8 to 10. In all wisdom and insight, He made known to us the mystery of His will, according to His kind intention, which He purposed in Him, with a view to an administration suitable to the fullness of the times, that is the summing up of all things in Christ, things in heavens and things on the earth. Here, Paul tells us that God had revealed us the mystery of his will. What do we mean by that mystery? Mystery refers to something that had been hidden in the past but is now revealed. It is something that had been hidden in the past but is now revealed. And this mystery that Paul talks about is about God's plan and purpose that used to be hidden in the Old Testament times but has now been revealed. And what is that mystery? That Christ will unite all things in the heaven and on earth. 
and everything will be brought together under the Lordship of Christ Jesus, under the Lordship of the King. Now we see this mystery was partially fulfilled after Christ ascended into heaven, but this blessing will be completed in the fullness of time. As the author of Hebrews said, Hebrews 2.8, You have put all things in subjection under his feet. For in subjecting all things to him, Christ Jesus, he left nothing that is not subject to him. But now we do not yet see all things subjected to him. Now part of this mystery is also about God creating a multi-ethnic people for himself. It's bringing the good news to both Jews and Gentiles and bringing them together and uniting them into one body under the headship of Christ. And we will learn more about this topic in chapter 3 of Ephesians. Now as Gentiles ourselves, let us praise God for this spiritual blessing. Because of God's kindness, you and I are now part of God's people. So let us be grateful and thank God for that. Next, blessing from God the Spirit, verse 13 to 14. In him you also, after listening to the message of the truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is given as a pledge for our inheritance with a view to the redemption of God's own possession, to the praise of his glory. See, God the Spirit sealed us. Paul tells us that we are sealed with the Spirit of God. In those days, a seal was a stamp of ownership, and even today, cattle are branded or sealed to identify their owner. You see, all people of God are marked. Through the Spirit, God stamps us with His official seal, and that is the Holy Spirit. It's God's way of saying, you are mine and you belong to me. Now, the Spirit does not only seal us, He also serves as God's pledge. He also serves as God's pledge. See verse 14, the word pledge is used in a legal or commercial transactions. It can also be translated as a guarantee, a deposit, or a down payment. Suppose you want to buy a pre-selling house worth 20 million. You and the seller might agree that you would pay the first 2 million or 10% as down payment. With this down payment, you are making a promise or giving a guarantee to the seller that you will pay the full amount in the future when the house is finally completed. In the same way, the Holy Spirit is God's down payment to us, His church. He gave the Spirit as His guarantee that He will completely purchase us. And God promises that He will complete His redemptive work in us and give us our full inheritance in the future. And this truth is connected to our next point. Not only did God bless us in Christ by giving us redemption, but He also gave us a rich inheritance. A rich inheritance. Verse 11 to 12. In Him also we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to His purpose, who works all things after the counsel of His will, to the end that we who are the first to hope in Christ would be to the praise of His glory. Paul said that in Christ we also receive an inheritance. As Romans 5 tells us, For you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you have received a spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies that our spirit, that we are children of God, and if children, heirs also, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, so that we may also be glorified with him. These days, an inheritance is often simply money or something that can be quickly turned into cash. But very often in the ancient world, and particularly in the Jewish custom, an inheritance consisted of land that was a permanent possession. 
In the Old Testament, the basic inheritance that God had promised to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob was the land of Canaan. All the time that the Israelites were slaves in Egypt, this promise was the hope that kept them going. And the hope that whatever the twists and turns in the story they are in, God himself would eventually give them their inheritance. Not a gift of cash, but the ideal land, the land of Canaan, the land flowing with milk and honey. So here is part of the meaning of the Exodus story in the Old Testament. God has set the Israelites free to set off and go to claim their inheritance. Now here in Ephesians, Paul tells part of this story over again. But this time, of course, is about the new Exodus and the new inheritance. Paul sees God's people, his church in the present age, as doing again what Israel did in the desert. God's people are coming out of the slavery of sin through God's great action in Christ Jesus the Messiah, and they are on their way to the new promised land. But what is this new promised land? What is the promised inheritance? It is the restored creation. It's the new heavens and the new earth, where there will be a complete reversal of the curse in Eden. The new promised land is the place where we will co-reign and rule with Christ. So think about it, brothers and sisters. We are blessed and we have a rich inheritance in Christ. Now the question is, how are you going to use that blessing and that gift from God? As Pastor John MacArthur said, you are rich. God couldn't give you more than he gave you in Christ. There is nothing else to get. And all the spiritual blessings and all the good things that the Spirit can dispense have been dispensed to you in the presence of the indwelling Christ. They are yours. It's not a question of finding something else. It's a question of using what you've got. Again, read that. It's not a question of finding something else. It's a question of using what you've got. Friends, we are blessed in Christ. And may this be our response. Because God has overwhelmingly showered us with goodness in Christ, let us therefore give thanks to God, give ourselves to the Lord, and give ourselves to others. Again, think about the abundant gift that God has given us. From God's enemies, we became God's people, then God's children, and then finally, God's heirs. From enemies, we became a people, then children and heirs. And God the Father has chosen and adopted us. Christ the Son has redeemed and unites us, and the Holy Spirit seals us and serves as God's pledge for our future inheritance. What a glorious blessing, one after another. Now, what do you call that? That's called grace. Our trying God saved us, redeemed us by grace. Verse 6 and 7 describe God's saving grace as glorious and rich. His grace is glorious and rich. Grace in the New Testament is the word charis, which means God's kindness towards undeserving people. None of us deserve God's love because, as the Bible tells us, we are sinners, rebels, and we were God's enemies. But God, out of His rich and glorious grace, made a way to forgive us. Romans 5, 8-10 But God demonstrates His own love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. While we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of His Son. Friends, this is good news for all of us. God desires that you and I be reconciled with Him. But the question is, do you want God? Do you want God in your life? Do you want to return to Him? If that is the desire of your heart, then make a decision today. Turn away from your sins and fully surrender your life to Christ. Trust in Jesus to save you. 
follow him and his ways and let him be your master from this day forward. And when you do that, you will receive the rich blessing of becoming a child of God. And so the question is, what will be your choice? Will you follow God? Will you receive the abundant blessing that he longs to give you in Christ? May God help us. Again, it is only by God's rich and glorious grace that we have received this blessing of redemption and rich inheritance. Now, you may ask, why did God do all this? For what reason? Why did he do all these things? And here is the reason. For our redemption and our rich inheritance, it is for his glory and it is for his praise. Three times Paul repeated this truth in chapter 1. It says, Just as he, God the Father, chose us in him to the praise of the glory of his grace. Verses 11 to 12, In Christ we have obtained an inheritance to the praise of his glory. Verse 13 to 14, You were sealed in Christ with the Holy Spirit of promise to the praise of his glory. Some Bible experts say that Paul repeated this phrase three times in view of praising God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. Nonetheless, the point is that God redeemed us and He richly blessed us ultimately for the praise of His glory. And that should be the focus of our hearts as well. Because God has overwhelmingly showered us with His goodness in Christ, let us therefore give thanks to God, give ourselves to the Lord, and give ourselves to others. Let me close with this story. This is a newspaper clip about Stanley William McKenna Walker. He was a son of the wealthy British shipbuilder. At age 50, he was an heir to an estate of about $8 million. All of his family members, except for him and his brother, died during World War II. But Stanley had become a drunkard and lived in Chicago's poor neighborhood. For many years, he barely survived by eating leftover garbage and sleeping in cheap hotels. When his millionaire father died in the 1950s, the authorities searched throughout for him in the slums of the Chicago area. They were trying to find him so that they could inform him of his new inheritance. When they finally located him, they discovered that he had just died the night before in the doorway of a Chicago rescue mission. Sadly, a lot of Christians today are also living in spiritual poverty. Despite the rich blessings that God has given us, many Christians go through their life with no peace, no joy, no victory. They spend their time enjoying cheap substitutes for a blessed life. They fail to realize the rich and the abundant blessing that they have in Christ, and they show it in the way they live their lives, in their pursuit of earthly pleasures and false glories, and they don't experience God's design in their marriages, parenting, and relationships. Friends, you and I need not keep living in spiritual poverty. Starting today, I pray that you will know and fully understand how blessed you are in Christ so that you can live differently, so that you can live the abundant life and bless others and honor God. So let us always remind ourselves with this truth. God has abundantly blessed us in Christ. And knowing this fact, may you and I be like the Apostle Paul. Let us constantly celebrate and bow down in worship and declare, Blessed be God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, thank you so much. Thank you so much for the overwhelming blessing that you have given us. Thank you out of your riches, the glory of your grace, out of your abundance, out of your deep desire to bless us, your children. You 
did everything to save us. Thank you, Lord, for sending your Son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for our sins so that we can be reconciled back to you. You no longer call us your enemies. You no longer call us your slaves. But you call us friends. You call us children. And you have given us the great blessing of being an heir that we will rule and co-reign with Christ in the fullness of time. Thank you, Father, for your great love. Give us the wisdom, the discernment, the full understanding to grasp how high, how long, how wide, how deep the riches of your grace, the depth of your love, and help us, Lord God, to live a life, the abundant life that honors you, and so that we could also be a blessing to others. Father, forgive us for the many times that we sought blessing in pursuing earthly things, in pursuing what matters least, in pursuing the temporal ones. Lord, we are so hungry and thirsty that we just want to eat what is junk. And we forget that we are rich in Christ. Father, as we come before you today, help us to renew that commitment, to follow you wholeheartedly, to return back to you. Help us to experience the abundance of your grace in Christ Jesus, despite our challenges, our circumstances. Would you please grant us peace? Would you please grant us strength, wisdom? Help us to love others as you love us. Help us to forgive. Help us to be agents of your peace. Help us to be salt and light in our workplace, in our communities, in our family. Restore our marriages. Restore our relationship. Enable us to forgive one another and love and to live for you, to deny ourselves. And ultimately, live for your glory. Thank you, Lord, for the message of Ephesians. And as we go through this book, continue to help us, Lord, to unpack the riches of your word. And more importantly, give us the grace to apply these things in our lives. Thank you, Lord. We pray for our country. Continue to grant us your guidance. We ask for your favor, Lord God. We pray for our leaders. Help them, Lord, to know how to handle our situation in both the private and the public sector. Help us, Lord, to, as one country, be united and do our part in doing our best to move forward during this pandemic. But more importantly, as we live through these challenges, help us to see you and give us that higher perspective that no matter what happens, that we are secured in your love, that we are here to stay because you watch over us. Thank you, Father. Continue to grant us your presence. I pray for those who are struggling in their sickness. Please grant them healing and store them physically. For those who are doubting, Lord God, about their faith, uh, encourage them, O oh God. Remind them, Lord, of your great love and help them to endure, to, to run strong and, and to finish well. For all of us serving you, continue to grant us the strength to do this, to do everything for your glory. We pray for our church. Help us to be a church that follows hard after you. Help us to pursue intimacy with you, to be rooted in your word, to focus on our family, to live a life of discipleship, to be relevant to our community and as we serve you and serve one another. Thank you, Father, for this opportunity. May you grant us the grace and the peace and help us to experience your sufficient grace in Christ Jesus. Thank you, Lord. We commit to you this day in everything. May you alone be glorified and honored as we live our new life in Christ. And may we experience your abundant grace and peace. Thank you, Lord. All these things we pray 
Jesus' name, amen. Amen.